Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I'm joined for episode 271 of the show by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster. Uh, gentlemen, we are in the thick of things here. We've got uh, spring training, uh, you know, happening. Uh, we've got a, a good amount of data to go off of, finally. We've got the WBC happening. That's about to really ramp up and get into some elimination games, so... Uh, we've got a good bit of baseball to talk about, and uh, Bob, we also have uh, March Madness brackets, so I know you're excited about that. Um, That's right. Do, do you want to give us your, your overall bracket champion to start off the episode? Who do you have winning the whole thing? Oh, man. See, I'm, I'm probably going to pick some two seeds. I like to go with the, the game theory when you're playing in those big those big bracket tournaments, you know, not not pick the the one that has the highest percentage of winners. So I'm kind of deciding between Arizona and Texas, who I watched good amount of this weekend. Looked great in their conference tournaments. You know, big conferences, that whole thing, beating Kansas and UCLA. So I think it's going to be one of those, and I'll probably enter two and take Texas in one and Arizona in the other one. There you go. You guys thought about this at all, or am I out on an island here? I yeah. haven't thought about it at all. Yeah. I got Arizona, Duke, Houston, and Kansas in my final four, and I got Arizona and Kansas in my final. Nice. I'm a big uh, Kansas guy. Like that's just. I think when I was growing up, I I picked a team to like, and I just liked Kansas because Pierce played there, and then I liked uh, Heinrich and Collison. So uh, I'm gonna probably end up picking Kansas in whatever I do. But. Defending champs. Yeah, tough road to go back to back, but. I like the Duke call as a five seed, Keaton, because I don't really know why they're a five seed. Even though I will not be rooting for them. I mean, they had a really bad first half of the season. They yeah. just they got healthy over the second half. So, you know, that that was my homer pick, as I am a Duke fan. 
Well, yeah. let's not make anybody throw up by talking about uh, being <clears throat> a fan of Duke basketball. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move it. on here to some baseball, Keaton. You've um, you've gotten a little bit of flack in the Over the Monster chat for uh, your WBC bold predictions. You want to t- tell us about those? Yeah. Um, immediately. So we uh, hopefully you listener uh, joined in the uh, the WBC bracket challenge i believe that was like those those article posters so everybody could join in and join in the fun and uh in the pool b i picked australia coming out and within seconds of finalizing that bracket i was getting shit on pretty hard for picking australia and i was told they suck dude turns out they're coming out of the group just like i predicted i'm feeling mighty good about it yeah uh you know they they probably have some like plumbers and like accountants and all sorts of stuff on that team. So, um, props to you for for picking them. Maybe maybe there are some good arms there from from playing cricket or something. I don't know, but it's a good call. Yeah, that no, is, I, that's that, where my knowledge stopped though because I did pick the Netherlands to win it all and uh, they didn't make it out of the group. So, oof, not great. Now was yeah. that the five-way tie group? Yep. Mm-hmm. I really, that was a bummer. And it it's hard third. to really blame or uh, credit anybody for picking the two that came out of the five-way tie, tenth tiebreaker group. Yeah. I mean, I picked them both right. No big deal, but um, just in the wrong order. Right, but you, as you said, we won't give you a credit for it. So. No, you should. <laughs> you should. I still have no idea how that the the pool thing works, and like. It doesn't seem like enough games get played in the pools to decide how many teams come out, but I don't know. But whatever. I'm just happy to watch. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to be ignorant in my in my watching. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about four hitters and four uh, pitchers who are trending up in spring training, and then also four hitters and four pitchers who are trending down in spring training. But the meat of the show is going to be our deep dive into the American League East. And we're going to predict uh, where we have all five teams uh, finishing. So it's going to be a good show for you. We've got a bunch of listener questions as well. Um, As always, you can find us on Twitter. You can find uh, Keaton on Twitter at The Spoken Keats. You can find Bob at at BobOsgood15. You can find me at at DevJake. And you can find the email of the show at the Red Seat Podcast or the Red Seat Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, shoot us an email there if you have any questions. We did get some listener questions today, so we'll be hitting up those as well. But let's go ahead and start with these hitters. Um, the first hitter we want to talk about is uh, Sedan Rafaela. Um, and, and I think we're, we're also going to talk about uh, Enmanuel Valdez at the same time. These are two guys... Uh, from spring training, who are trending uh, down. Rafaela uh, finished with a slash line of 207, 226, 207 uh, in his time up with the big league club. And Manuel Valdez had a slash line of 200, 375, 320. Um, you know, both of these guys have some work left to do. Um, Rafaela, in particular, still chasing too many pitches. Um, did take some walks, but, uh, you know, how much of those skills have developed and how much of that is just, you know, him 
intentionally trying to lay off pitches is, is still unknown, so we'll have to see how that translates to the season. But Valdez, I actually liked some of the things I saw from him. I liked his at-bats. I thought there was some good stuff there, and even though the slash line seems a little bit underwhelming, um, I was kind of happy with uh, with how he looked. So, yeah. Uh, Keaton, what are your thoughts on Bobby Dahlbeck's hot start? Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, 346, 414, 615 so far this spring. Yeah, he is having a tremendous spring, which um, he has done the past three or four seasons now. He's just kind of like cruised through spring, uh, made everybody believe that he could be the guy, and then the regular season hit, and then um, he pisses everybody off, and we want to trade him and send him down and get rid of him completely. Um just kind of a reminder that uh, this is where he shines. So I don't think it's a surprise that he's doing really well because this is kind of when he does really well. Um, I would love it if he could continue this into the regular season uh, and perhaps if he has finally unlocked something. Um, I don't have a ton of hope, though, because he does have 11 strikeouts in 11 games. So he's still striking out a ton. Um, I just think it's him kind of in his sweet spot feeling good and um, then when the switch flips to the regular season, we're, we're going to see the good old Bobby Bouncy Balls we, we know and love. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you there. Um, until we see this really consistent in the regular season, tough to uh, to, to see much in, in the spring performance. But, Bob, two guys that are also having a lot of success and also have identical averages, at least before today's game they did, are uh, Christian Arroyo uh, and uh, Tristan Casas, who the Red Sox have put a ton of faith in. Um, the slash line for Arroyo, 357, 357, 607, uh, headed into today's game. Um, no walks there. Uh, Casas, 357, 400, 615. Red Sox putting a lot of faith in both of these guys this season. What have you seen from these two? I think with Christian Arroyo, when he's on the field, he's really just hit for the last couple of years. Um you know, he played 87 games last year, and he hit 286, and he only struck out 16% of the time. And if he can stay on the field and do that, you know, um, hit 270 to 280, pop 12 to 15 home runs, not strike out a whole lot, and play, a, you know, a good second base, I think that is just such an important part for this team is just the unknowns up the middle and he's off to a good start, you know, 11 for 32, two homers, seven RBI, uh, 344 average. So it's good to see, it's good to see him on the field coming in with clean bill of health. Um, I think that's just really important because of some of the other players who are not healthy uh, coming into spring training um, with Story being out at least half the year, probably the whole year in the field, with Mondesi out, there's no depth there. You know, we could be going down to Ann Manuel soon enough if Arroyo got hurt. So I think it's just really important for him to get out to a good start and and stay healthy. Um, with Cassis, you know, I look at this a little bit more with the younger players. You know, when I, you look at a Adam Duvall who's only hitting 136 so far. 
I don't worry about it as much with the veterans, but you don't want to see that Cassis is pressing in spring training as a rookie. You know, he's been on base 44% of the time. He's got a couple of home runs. Uh, he's hit well against lefties in spring training. So those are just b- both good signs for players that are going to be hitting, um, you know, not too far down the order uh, and probably have opportunities to work their way up the order, depending on how things unfold early in the season, just with the amount of unknown on this team. The success against lefties for Cassis is what stands out a lot to me. He's got yeah. both of his home runs this spring against lefties. Um three hits and two of them are the homers. I mean, this was kind of what we were, again, it's kind of spring training, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But if you can continue this into the regular season, like this is kind of what we were hoping he could be and kind of shy away from like a potential platoon role and be an everyday guy and be able to hit lefties. So for, for him to really come out of the gate and have that success right away this spring at a young age, love it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good sign. Definitely a good sign to see Casas doing that. Um, another guy who we talked about is potentially making this roster, and a guy who I still think will break camp at the roster is Ryan Tapia, and he's having a hell of a spring. Coming into today's game, he was uh, slashing 429, 455, 810, getting a lot of run. He's played all three outfield positions, which I think is also a good sign for him in terms of breaking camp with the team. Um, you know, today he had another hit, lowered his average to 417. Um, but, you know, guys guys playing tremendous. Uh, do you guys still think that that spot is up for debate between Tapia and Duran, or do we think that Tapia's got that pretty well locked up at this point? Good, Keaton. Good question. Um, AKA I have no idea (laughs) Well so well, The first thing that came into my mind was Tapia signed a minor league deal right So is he on the 40 man or do they have to make room If they are to hold They have to make room and he also has some uh, Opt outs In his contract Yeah so that makes things a little bit more complicated Um, I think that they Would really love for Duran To take that spot and run with it. Um, but it's hard to argue with that success, even even a small sample. So I think um, it'll probably just come down to what a corresponding roster move would be. And if they think that losing that roster spot and retaining Tapia over Duran kind of you know makes the team stronger at the time. And um, because I... Don't really know what that other roster move would be. I don't know. It'd be Caleb Ward, I think, um, for for Tapia. He's kind of the one guy who makes sense sense for them to to move on from uh, at this point. But, you know, it, it comes down to, with this argument, I think, whether or not you want Bobby Dahlbeck, or I should say, uh, Jaron Duran, I just conflate those two in my mind because we talk (laughs) about them so much. Um, But whether or not you want Duran playing every day in AAA or you want him playing a couple times a week in the big leagues because whoever gets that spot is not going to have a path to playing every day. I just think that the more flexibility they have, they can send Duran down if they have any chance that they're losing Tapia, which it sounds like they probably would, especially 
if he has an opt-out and he's hitting 400 in spring training, you'd have to think that he would utilize that, um, that they probably wouldn't risk letting him go, even though they'd have to kick in some money to do so. Yeah, I think that's more important for Duran to get the everyday at-bats. So I would I would prefer that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, Mini Mike Trout, though. Rob Refsnyder. Uh, heading into today's game was batting zero with a two thirty one OBP and a zero slugging percentage. We lost our minds, didn't we, that other episode? We did. We 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 called him Trout. Some of, some of you guys did. With it with his slash line. But uh he finally got off the Schneid today, Keaton, got a home run. So uh is the Ref Snyder mini Mike Trout train back on? <laughs> it might be. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna side with no though. Um but just kind of a yeah, just I feel like I picked the the downer ones to talk about here. Um, so I think I think I'll be happier with my pictures that I'll that I talk about. But I was kind of the downer on the bats here. But yeah, I just wanted to to point out that uh, it was not long ago that everybody, uh, not just us on this podcast, there were other folks at OTM and I assume listeners and and folks on Twitter as well that were uh, really feel the need to get Ruff Snyder in as, in the lineup and give him as many at bats as possible. And I'm just not there yet and his performance uh this spring has just done nothing but solidify that mindset for me well with the veterans right we're just supposed to uh, trust that this is the break-in period so don't worry about the uh the slash lines for ref snyder and duvall but panic about it for for the young guys right ref snyder has seven walks come on now (laughs) so he's an on-base machine is what you're telling me that might be a stretch. I'm not going to make any bold statements after what happened earlier, but he did have a 384 <laughs> OBP last year, so yeah, I'll throw that fair. out there. Trout-like, almost. I think that's what led to that conversation. All right, well, Keaton, let's get to the pitchers because the yeah. two guys that you chose to talk about are both trending in wildly different directions. Uh, Cutter Crawford, eight and two-thirds innings pitched, nine strikeouts, one walk. Um, really good ratios. We'll let you mention those. Uh, Tanner Houck, a little bit different. Eight innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, and eight walks with considerably uh, worse numbers. Two guys trending in different directions. Yeah. Uh, Carter Crawford, though. So um, had I been on the last episode, this was a guy that I was going to talk about. Um, and kind of center it around just the depth of pitching in general. Um, but due to the injuries and just kind of the state of the rotation currently, he has inside track of making the roster and making the rotation as the fifth starter out of the gate. Uh, and he's had a tremendous spring training so far uh, to go along with it. Point nine two whip, um, a two twelve batting average against he's killing it um which is really going to be key because i mean the the theme all leading up to this season is how injury plagued the pitching rotation is and how much can we actually trust to get innings out of these guys and we're not really entirely convinced what we have here for depth um and carter crawford is potentially looking like a legitimate piece of depth here um didn't have 
over I guess overall a terrible year last year. He had his spurts where he looked kind of nice. Um, it was I mean the the overall line didn't look great, but he did show the the strikeout potential. It didn't walk a ton. Um, had spurts where he was successful for consecutive starts. So um, it looks like he's just kind of building on that and kind of putting things together. And just given the fact that we're going to have to rely on other guys besides the, you know, the five that we were initially expecting to go into the season with, uh, he's kind of stepping up and saying, Hey, I can be that guy. Uh, so for him to have a really good spring makes me feel like we could potentially have some kind of depth where we don't have to rely on pulling somebody out of their role in the bullpen and kind of wrecking the feng shui there just to band-aid innings together to get through games, uh, which is really kind of what wrecked them. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that wrecked them last year, but that was a big part of it. Um, So if they're going to avoid that, then I think they're already building a really strong foundation for the 2023 season. So um, I am excited to see if this can, again, because it's spring training, just carry over the regular season. But it's giving me some hope. Give me some hope. I like it. Yeah, I mean, though the the Crawford thing I completely agree with, but the Tanner Hook thing scares the crap out of me. The eight walks yeah. in eight innings, um, you know, he's a guy that has a pretty good shot to break camp in the rotation uh, with the injuries to Bayo and, um, and uh, who's the other guy who's injured? Whitlock. Lock, uh, Whitlock, yes, thank you. Um, but I don't want Hauk to be figuring <laughs> out his command in the rotation. Like, I'd much rather have him figuring that out in, like, two to three inning stints uh, in the bullpen, especially when, you know, Josh Winkowski, another guy we're going to talk about, uh, five innings pitch so far, seven strikeouts, zero ERA, you know, I, I feel better about where Winkowski is right now. Nick Pavetta as well is someone who struggled early in camp, um, had a 12.27 ERA and eight hits allowed coming into today's game. But then today, you know, he went out there and threw four innings, struck out five, allowed one or run. Um, so he looks like he's going to be a part of it, even with the COVID stuff. So I don't know. Am I crazy to prefer Winkowski to Tanner Houck at this point in the rotation for that, you know, however long it's going to take for, for Bayo or Whitlock to get back? I don't think crazy because we've seen how devastating he can be in the bullpen and he can basically limit the damage from his walks. It's frustrating because he's coming off of two seasons where it looked like he figured it out, um, at least from the command perspective. Um, and also coming into this season, Alex Cora was really talking him up about how much like they were going to maximize his usage. They wanted to use him a ton. He was really important to both the rotation and the bullpen. And um, this is not a great way to kind of back up that support uh, and really kind of struggle with your command to this extent. Uh, it's not great. It kind of looks like a step back. But the strikeouts are there, so... It, I mean, this, again, because it's spring training, it's just, he's could just be figuring it out. And when we get to the regular season, it could not be as bad. But I also understand it's probably going to be a lot better with him uh, fine-tuning that in the bullpen versus the rotation because uh, it's going to look a lot worse if he's trying to stretch out 
through like four innings and just cannot find the plate. It's a lot easier to swallow when you only have to watch it for three outs versus, you know, 12 plus. So, yeah, Yeah, but that's why I understand. I didn't want him to be a long term closer, even when he was pitching well in that role last year because of this. I feel like this has been Tanner Houck the whole time. This has been the concern and that it could just kind of flare up out of nowhere. You know, he could come in in the ninth and walk the bases loaded and get pulled. Um, And so I don't want him in that role. Um, even though he had a good stretch, but there were some heart attack games that were in the middle of that last year, even though he, he ended up with a pretty good save percentage. Some of them were runners on and one run game out of nowhere. Um, I, I don't think he's on conversely. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you can rely on to go six innings. I think he's, whether he's a, a two inning reliever or a starter that, you know, rarely goes five. I think that that just is going to be the player that he, that he is, unless something changes. If his control gets better as he gets older, or he develops a really good third pitch to that he can control. I, I don't know. It, it, he's kind of been, I feel like we know who he is at this point. Now when he's in the rotation, they're probably going to be piggybacking him in some way, even if he makes a start in those first five. And that's why I think they need to have some long man arms that are, are backing him up, whether it's Winkowski, um, you know, I was going to talk about Brian Mata a little bit because he's thrown seven shutout innings and he throws a hundred and he's kind of at an age where he's going to be 24 this spring. You know, he could be ready to be called up if he continues to throw well and can go multiple innings behind Hoke. So I feel like they're going to start the season probably with Whitlock, Paxton, and Bayo all on the injured list in some way, whether it's for a week, one, two, three weeks, um, and that you're going to see three relievers or three relief spots that are going to get cycled through, and maybe you see some guys go two, three innings and release relief a Hulk and then get sent down. It's gonna they're going to need a lot of arms in April, I think. The only thing with Mata though is he has only pitched 23 innings at AAA. It is a little bit more than that. I can completely understand him debuting at some point this year yeah but early seems like way too soon yeah i kind of agree with that keaton and like the the thing about hulk is just to put a bow tie on the hulk discussion here is i want him to have more time um pitching kind of low leverage meaningless innings uh away from this back surgery that he had i mean that's still like a pretty big procedure and I'm sure it's not helping his command, you know, coming off of of that. I kind of I would like to see him in April as sort of a, a mop-up guy, whether that's in games where they're really getting, you know, beat up on or games where they're ahead by a lot and he can come in and pitch, you know, a couple uh, low-leverage innings toward towards the end of the game. But, you know, a couple of those other options are Mata, as you mentioned, uh, Bob and, and and Brandon Walter is another one, a starter. You want to talk about what those guys have done this spring? Because you know, I, I think you could you could make a pretty good argument that Mata, even with the limited experience in in AAA, has looked like the more impactful guy at least this spring. Yeah, and I, I think as Keaton mentioned, with the number of innings and what he's thrown since having surgery, that he's very unlikely to be a starter this year. 
the way that they've kind of thrown him indicates that. Um, I think that there's, we talked about it last week, that there's probably a better chance that Walter could get starts. But this was a good reminder with Walter facing Toronto. Um, and it seems whether they play them in the regular season or the, the spring training, they just get their asses kicked every time they play Toronto. I mean, just pulling that up and seeing 16-3 to the other day was, you know, here we go again. You know, there's just something about that matchup. I feel like we the Red Sox could go 2-16 and against them. Um, I guess they'll play fewer games this year, but it's just such a mismatch every time. But anyways, you know, Murphy gives up six runs, and then Walter comes in relief, and now he's facing major league hitters um, in the third, fourth, fifth innings, and he gives up eight hits and, and six runs. And it's a good reminder that, you know, as Walter looked good in those first two appearances, they were mostly against minor league um, hitters that he was facing in, in those two outings. Um, you know, I think that his, his command is really good. And I think that he hasn't gotten his um, opportunity at AAA yet because of the injury last year. Um, so he'll need some starts there, but I think that there's a better chance that Walter could play a role as a starter if he's needed as a depth piece. And that Mott is probably more likely as a reliever. But as you guys said, it's probably, it's certainly not right off the bat with Walter, who's already been sent down. But, um, you know, Mata could be later on in the season as well. The stuff couldn't be more different between those two as <laughs> right. well. Like, <laughs> An arm angle and everything else. Yeah, they're just like so different. But you look at Walter's numbers and five innings pitched, eight strikeouts, zero walks. You'd think, oh, probably having a pretty good spring. Uh Nine hits allowed, so a, a lot of hard contact with him. I think he really needs to figure out what he can and cannot do uh, with big league pitching or with big league hitting, I should say, because, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a learning experience. Brian Mata, though, I, I definitely see in some leverage innings uh, out of relief at some point this season. That, that arm is just really impressive, and the way that he's come back from the surgery, he looks great. Um, to wrap up the pitchers here, Chris Sale, uh, obviously we've been talking a lot about how good he's looked. Five innings pitched, seven strikeouts, zero walks on the season. Um, but, you know, another reliever that we've been talking about, a guy who I think the Sox definitely want to give some run here uh, is Wyatt Mills. Uh, six innings pitched so far, 10 strikeouts, five walks, three hit batters. Uh, so not exactly great command with Wyatt Mills so far. Um I was kind of expecting him to be a little bit better than that. So we'll see if, what they can do with him. But, you know, definitely a guy to to monitor because I think that Mills is going to get some time in the bullpen this year. Um, it could be impactful. Any any thoughts on Mills or Sale before we move on? Um, I mean, with Mills, it seems like they're trying to find – there was all those videos of his arm angle so similar to Schreiber, but then you dig into it a little bit and has a 621 career ERA and a 1.55 career whip. So if he's not carving guys up in AAA, then I don't know why there would be a reason to think that he could do that up in Boston. So he'll probably get sent down and if he gets in a groove and you know you read that he's got eight or ten scoreless outings in a row or something like that then maybe he jumps a couple of these guys but 
Um, you know, not really the start that they were hoping for there. But with Sale, we talked about him last week, and it was another outing of good strikeouts and good command and low pitch count. I think I read like 31 pitches in three innings, and he had to go throw a simulated inning after that. I mean, that's that's a great sign, you know, that, that uh, looks like he's not going to be an opening day pitcher. There are rumors that it would be Kluber and he might pitch the second or the third game. But either way, I mean, if he's ready to go five, six innings and feeling strong, it's just, it's, as you said, Jake, last week, probably the most important unfolding of spring training so far. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So that's our spring training segment. Now we're going to move on to the real meat of the show, uh, our AL East predictions. Um, what we're going to do now to approach this segment is we're going to go uh, down the line here and give our top five how we think the teams are going to finish. And then we're going to deep dive into each of these teams, uh, starting with the Blue Jays and then you know going down from there. Uh, my top five, how I see these teams finishing this year, Blue Jays number one, uh, Rays number two. Yankees number three, Red Sox number four, Orioles number five. Keaton, how do you have it? I also have the Blue Jays number one, then I got the Yankees two, Rays three, Red Sox four, Orioles five. And Bob? I had Tampa Bay one, Toronto two, New York three, Boston four, Baltimore five. All right, so a decent amount of agreement here. Um, let's start with the consensus one um, between Keaton and I uh, and, and your number two, Bob, the, the Toronto Blue Jays. So last year they won 92 games. Um, they've made some changes to their lineup over the offseason. They traded Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Goriel. Um, they're not playing Springer in center field anymore because they brought in uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. They also uh, brought in Dalton Varsho uh, from uh, Arizona, sending out one of their catchers, Gabriel Moreno, great prospect there. Varsho is an excellent defender. So, you know, the big thing that I noticed with the Blue Jays here and one of the biggest reasons why I have them number one in the division is because they have an excellent lineup and now they have excellent defense uh, as well. You know, not only uh, Varsho and Kiermaier are upgrading the outfield, but you know, Matt Chapman for a full season at third base, uh, great catchers and Jansen and Kirk, uh, strong bench there, good rotation, uh, great bullpen. You know, they're, they've got a whole lot going for them. Keaton, why did you uh, predict the Blue Jays uh, to be tops of the AL East? And, you know, what do you think is the difference this year that propels them to the top, whereas last year they fall a little bit short of that mark? Yeah, they made a bunch of moves. Um, didn't even mention Whit Merrifield, and I, you may have not mentioned Brandon Belt either. I didn't mention either of those guys, yeah. Yeah, they made a ton of moves. And um, they also brought in your boy Chris Bassett too, yeah. as well on the pitching Love side. Love him. So they, I mean, they just added to what was already a really strong lineup. And I know that they really kind of stumbled to gel 
last year, and it took him a while to to finally get rolling. I just can't imagine that's going to happen again. It's just too talented. It it would just it'd be such a fluke for that to happen again. Um, and I feel like this roster is even better than last year's roster. One of the big things is uh, the bullpen. I think that was kind of the question mark for them coming into last year. It's not now. Jordan uh, Romano is definitely the closer. Um, Swanson and Yumi Garcia as uh, the setup guys is really strong. Uh, the mirror relief with Bass and Simber is also really strong too. So they got really strong rotation, got a really strong bullpen. They added, they made a thick lineup even thicker as an impressive roster. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned the the pen too. Having Jordan Romano healthy to start the year is is a big thing. And then the trade addition of Eric Swanson. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about this rotation, Bob. And, uh, you know, they're going to roll out Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, two guys we don't have any questions about. Those guys are great. Um, Jose Berrios, who they paid a lot of money for. Chris Bassett, who's always solid, and then Yusei Kikuchi as their fifth starter. I don't really have questions about Manoa, Gosman, or Bassett because those guys have such a track record, but tell me what your thoughts are on Berrios and Kikuchi. Is is there any chance that those guys could you know, pitch to their potential? They both have huge strikeout stuff but seem to get hit around a little bit. Yeah, there's a chance, but I mean, Berrios is the most confusing name to look at from last year. I mean, just a complete downfall season out of nowhere after they signed him to a seven-year, $131 million extension through 2028. So <laughs> it went 523 ERA, and his strikeouts were way down last year too. So it's hard. There's really nothing in his profile from last year to hang on to you to say, well, you know, he did this and this and got a little unlucky. He just got ripped most of the time out the whole year. And, well, Kikuchi's pretty much done that his whole career. Um, and then Bassett, you know, it's a good signing, but his velocity's been way down in spring training. And, you know, you got to hope that there's nothing going on with him and that he's just, you know, right, he's a veteran. He's just slowly ramping his way up, I'm sure. But that is, I, I love everything that the Blue Jays did in the offseason, improving the defense, like you guys said. And Varsho is just, you know, one of the top defensive runs saved in the whole league at any position. And he's a converted catcher, which is nuts. Um, so, and to use their catching depth, they really didn't lose anything on their major league team to do that. You know, Danny Jansen's their, their backup catcher. I'm sure he'll DH a good amount, but, you know, he's a... 800 OPS kind of guy that can pop 20 home runs as their backup catcher. So they are really deep on, on, on the hitting side, but I put them second just because of the rotation. Um, and I just feel a lot better about Tampa's rotation um, outside of the, the top two in Manoa and Gossman. So no worries about Gosman having to change that delivery. You're you're still in very much on on Gosman. I I had an interesting stat told to me by uh, Todd Zola at a draft this past weekend, and um, he was saying that the BABIP that Gosman has is like last year was historically high to the yeah. point where. Um, I think what, if I'm remembering the quote correctly, he said 
the 41 players who had higher BABIPs than him played in an era where the pitchers didn't wear gloves, <laughs> which just like goes to show you how insane uh, the BABIP was from Gosman. So if we see some positive regression there, I mean, we could be looking at two legitimate aces at the top of this rotation. Yeah, he's hard to question at this point. The first time through the AL East, um, you know, I think, you know, people kind of <clears throat> felt that he sent him to the NL. He can be a lot better pitcher there. And now he's come back and his strikeout and walks were great last year. Ten and a half Ks per nine, 1.4 walks per nine. Yeah, his FIP was 2.38 and his ERA was 3.35. And that's all Babbitt related. So that's a full run that was affected by that. So if they, if they improve that defense um, and he's, he just carved up Boston every time that they faced him. It must've been five times last year and he pitched well in all of them. So, you know, my eye test did not have any questions about Kevin Gossman um, after seeing him second time through the AL East. Before we move off of Toronto here, Keaton, I have some additional questions I want to ask you about this lineup. So, We've talked about how good it is, but adding in um, Whit Merrifield and, and Kevin Kiermeyer and, you know, Dalton Varsho and some of these other guys. And, you know, we, we know the defense is going to be better here, but how much does Whit Merrifield have left in the tank? He had a really down year last year. You know, Kevin Kiermeyer doesn't give you a lot offensively. Um, is this lineup really better than it was last year with Teoscar? and Lourdes Goriel in it with, you know, the, the guys that they have in this lineup this year? Yes. I think um, Merrifield and Kiermaier are at the bottom. Um, I mean, Merrifield is also just a guy that gets on base, too. It's not um, – we know the, the line didn't look great. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then, obviously, we know – about the steals and everything that goes with that. But I just think like he doesn't have to like do anything in this lineup. So I think being in a hitter's park with zero pressure, literally all he has to do is just kind of slap the ball and get on base and everybody behind him is going to do the rest. I think he's going to have, I mean, I don't know if it'll be at like peak Merrifield, but I think he'll have a fine season and be, basically like the exact role player that the bottom of this lineup needed. Well, I'm looking forward to that, especially Merrifield on the bigger bases. I'm interested to see oh, yeah. uh, what, what he can do there. And before we wrap up the Blue Jays, um, even if one of uh, Berrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi blows up and is just terrible, uh, they've got Hunjin Ryu coming back mid-year um, from, from surgery. So... Another really good pitcher uh, there, and um, strong bench, man. I mean, we talked about the uh, Jansen Kirk catcher platoon that is, you know, probably the best catcher situation in the league. But then Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio, um, it's a really good bench too. So, yep, complete team. Um, next team that we're going to talk about is the Tampa Bay Rays, and. Um, Bob, I'm not going to lie. It was a little close for me when I started looking at this, and I know you went with the Rays 1 um, over the Blue Jays. 
and it was close. I couldn't do it because of the lineup, but it's tough to argue with the fact that they're going to be able to throw out there probably pretty early in the season. McClanahan, Glassnow, Rasmussen, Eflin, and Springs as the top five in that rotation. That's easily the best rotation in the American League East, in my opinion, and it's not particularly close. Yeah, you nailed it, and that's that's and I had both teams, you know, with high win win totals, which we'll go over in another show. But it's no knock on Toronto. I just think all those years that the Rays um, just kind of pieced things together, and you looked at it and said, "Well, they'll, they'll grab eighty innings here and a hundred innings here, and they'll um, you know cycle through a bunch of arms and make some weird trades." And now they've got the same kind of bullpen. They've got a similar lineup. You're right; it's not dominant. But this rotation is awesome, and per inning, it could be as it can you know go along with anybody other than I don't know maybe Texas per inning because those guys are have some similarly injury prone pitchers in there, but really have a dominant output per inning. Um, and New York, if those guys are healthy, but I I would put Tampa up there with anybody because McClanahan <clears throat> for the first four months last year, you could argue was as good as any pitcher in the league. Um, and seems to be healthy, seems to have his velocity back. I was concerned about that in August and September, but he pitched well in the playoffs, and he's throwing at a good velocity in the spring. So, you know, until that shoulder's barking again, you just got to assume that he's healthy for now. Obviously impossible to rely on glass now at this point because there's always something, but when he's out there, again, per inning, he's great. So maybe that 100... 30 innings that you'd expect from him just starts in late April instead of from opening day. Uh, Drew Rasmussen might be the most underrated pitcher in the American League. Um, he, I think, had a perfect game or a no-hitter into the ninth last year and just had so many good outings that he pitched deep into games. Set a 284 ERA in 146 innings and had good control. Um and just kind of has improved his velocity and just has really good stuff. Jeffrey Springs, it's it's laughable that we're even talking about him with this group after he was a, a cast-off and part of that 2020 season that none of us remembers anything from. Bloom's biggest regret right there. Yeah. Jeffrey Springs. And you see reference to Jeffrey Springs in certain articles in terms of why he's held on to some of these arms based on underlying metrics, and I guess Springs checked out with a lot of that and Tampa saw it and he has such a good change up and um, really good command of the strike zone and keeps hitters off balance. And he's like a perfect fourth starter. And then I don't know about Zach Eflin, but I know they gave him three years at a lot of money. So they saw something. The Red Sox saw something who made a similar offer and he's going to slot into at least to start probably the third starter. So, then you got Patino as a depth arm. You've got Yanni Chirinos, who has been out for a couple years, but he used to be a starter for them. And it's it seems to me they not only have five really good arms, but they also have depth. Fairbanks is a really good closer. They will find four relievers we've never heard of to put behind him. And then lastly, it's um, I'm calling the Wander Franco breakout. You know, he had some injuries last year. He's only 22. You know, the expectations were really high at 20, 21 years old. Um, 
and I think that he's just going to be, you know, hit second in that lineup, and him and a Rosa Rainer are just going to um, cause chaos uh, on the bases and at the plate. And, um, you know, it's just a really good young core that they still have there, even though they don't have huge power hitters, um, you know, unless Brandon Lau or Isaac Paredes or someone like that blows up for 30 homers. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I would guess that uh... – Keaton has them third and and Keaton, I'm going to give you your, your chance to to explain that in just a second here is probably the lineup um, because the pitching is, is self-evident, but they won 86 games in 2022 piecing it together. They didn't have much Brandon Lau. They didn't have much Wander Franco. And when he was there, he didn't really look like Wander. They had nothing from glass. Now that was all about winning 86 games. Yep. In 2022, this year they're going to start with Yandi in the leadoff position. He's an absolute OBP machine. They're going to have Franco healthy, a Rosarena healthy, and Brandon Lau healthy uh, behind him. I think that's a really good middle of the order. Harold Ramirez popped last year. He's fifth in DH. Um, you know, I look at that and I just think like that middle of the lineup, good enough with all that pitching to really give the rest of the teams in the AL East a scare. Keaton, what are your thoughts on that lineup? And is it the lineup that scares you? Yeah, it is. Um, I don't think it is as strong. And I know that they always piece it together. And I just, I mean, it's going to be really fun because of Franco and Rosarina. But I, it's just, I just, it was honestly, it was more of, I don't think that the Yankees are going to win, what was it, 96 games? 99. 99. Yeah, I don't think they're going to win 99, but I don't think they're going to come back that far. That was basically it. Okay. All right, so I think that's a good good, uh, time for us to transition to the Yankees. Let's let's lay the groundwork for the Yankees. As, as you said, Keaton, they won 99 games in 2022. Um, that required them to have Aaron Judge uh, having a record-setting year in basically every conceivable way, one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. He also stayed healthy for the entire year. But I want to throw you guys out a stat that gives me a lot of pause about the Yankees. Uh, Last year, aside from Judge, only Stanton, Rizzo, and Torres had OPS plus marks above 100. They've also got massive age and injury risk on this team. Stanton hit 211 with a 297 OBP and was basically only relevant because he was still able to get to his power. Um, And and Glaber uh, was the next highest batting average of returning starters for them last year uh, behind Judge's insanely good average. He was good at everything. But Glaber only hit 257, so there's just not a lot of contact on this team. Oswaldo Cabrera and Oswald Peraza are unproven. I think looking at this club, the thing that scares the crap out of me is it looks like a low OBP club where really only Judge and Rizzo can get on base. I think their pen is weaker than past years. Um, I think Cole and Cortez are pretty safe, but I think that Severino, Herman, Schmidt, and Rodon are all real risky in the starting rotation. So, 
I mean, let's let's go to you first, Keaton. You're you have them second here, um, and getting pretty close to what they did last year. What what gives you the the faith in this Yankees team? So they didn't really. I mean, obviously they added Rodon, and that was pretty much it. Um, they didn't really add anybody in the lineup, and running it back. I just don't think like. Looking at that Rays team, that looks like another 86-win team. And I just don't think that running the same team, the same Yankees team back is going to be a 13-game fall. So I was kinda, I'm not like super confident in it because everything that you outlined is completely true. I just feel like the lineup is still going to hit a buttload of homers. Um, like Rizzo is going to... Uh, feast on that short porch. Um, Judge is still going to be, I, th- I feel like, I mean, it's not going to, I don't think he's going to repeat that season, but he's still going to be really good because he's a really good baseball player. Um, I like Oswaldo Peraza. Um, so him coming up and actually getting some playing time, I guess that is technically an addition. Um, we'll see how much of that playing time he actually gets. But um, we were talking before, that probably a lot of this hinges on how many innings you can actually get out of Rodon, even though he's starting, you know, the season injured. But how quickly he can come back and be healthy probably hinges on a lot of that, their success for the year. And I don't think he's gonna be I mean he'll probably I think he'll be fine. I don't think he's gonna be uh, like him missing time is gonna be enough to like completely throw off their season. I still feel like they'll win like 90 games. Yeah, I uh I'm just scared to death of this team. I I I look at this team and I I get what you're saying that 13 games is a big drop um to have, but I'm just not convinced Glaber Torres is really that good uh and I'm not convinced that Rizzo is in in Stanton aren't just going to fall off a cliff and you know Judge's injury history just scares the hell out of me. And the fact that he was able to do what he did last year, I imagine that was pretty hard on his body. Um, so he scares me. And, and and I do think this pen might be the weakest bullpen that they've had in years with Clay Holmes, Jonathan Luiza, Michael King, you know, Luiza and King coming off injuries there. It's not exactly the, the vaunted Yankees pen that we're used to seeing uh, in past years. Bob, you also had them third. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? team this lineup this rotation the bullpen you know top to bottom why do you have them where you do yeah I I think a week ago I might not have had them third but so much of the season hinges on Rodone and he you looked at that rotation with him and Cole at the top and how good Cortez has been and whatever you get out of Severino I know he's been hurt but you know that would be such a an elite staff but he's got forearm tightness soreness he's not gonna throw for a couple weeks can't imagine we're gonna see him in april at this point and he was a more than a six win player last year um 237 k's and 178 innings just absolutely dominant like skills as good as anybody in baseball um top three pitcher probably when he's on the field so that's a huge loss and you look at his his injury history um He had surgery on his shoulder in 2018. He had Tommy John surgery in 2019, which 
cut into 2020, and then he had another shoulder injury later in 20. And then he went on the IL with a shoulder injury in 21. So this was a risky move with all of that to give Radon the money that they did. And, you know, we, we talked about him with Boston a little bit, especially when they weren't making any signings. And it was like, well, if they, you know, want him to do something, but they might have dodged a bullet not looking into Radon at all here because it just, here they are in the first month of a long-term deal and already dealing with that. And that's just, so much of it hinges on that, not to only focus on on him, but I probably would have had them higher otherwise. They've already lost Montas probably for the season. Um, you know, Cortez had a, a hamstring injury, so he started late, although he should be back pretty soon to, or, you know, should be around opening day starting. But yeah, I, I like Schmidt. I think that he is a good fifth starter, but he's probably going to be the fourth. And then, um, you know, Herman would move up to the fifth. And as you said, the bullpen isn't great. Holmes was hit or miss, depending on which month you talk about last year. And then their second highest war player in the lineup was Trevino, the catcher. <laughs> and the OBPs that you mentioned and, and just some of these late career guys, Donaldson and Hicks and LeMahieu, and we don't know where Stanton's going. And there's just a lot of questions. There are some exciting prospects. I mean, whether it's Peraza or even Anthony Volpe, who's been awesome in spring training, he's hitting over 400 and could just take the shortstop job and run with it over Peraza. Um, I'm kind of most interested in seeing who's going to play shortstop there um, because Volpe is a great prospect. So I still think, I think what Keaton said was fair, that about 90 wins, um, you know, for all three of these teams up at the top, it's really nitpicking. Um, so I just have them kind of a cut below because of all the questions in the rotation and even the guys that are healthy outside of Cole, I have questions about. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. Um, I know all of the projection systems have these teams very similar. Um, you know, looking at a couple different odds right now, Yankees uh, projected, this is by Zips, uh, 90 wins, Blue Jays 87.5, Rays 86.5, and, and then uh, the other one by Fangraphs War, uh, 91 wins for the Yankees, 89 for the Blue Jays, 88 for the Rays, essentially, you know, three-way tie there. Um, my bold prediction is that the Yankees will finish much closer to the Red Sox in the standings and the Red Sox, if they stay healthy and the Yankees do not stay healthy, I think can jump the Yankees. Uh, I think there's a clear top two of the Blue Jays and the Rays. And I think that the, the Yankees are a very clear, uh, step below for me. So That'll be interesting, Keaton. I know that in the past, when when we've disagreed on the Yankees, you've mostly been right, um, and and you were right last year too. I just look at this and I'm like, okay, they lost Carpenter. He carried that offense for a number of weeks last year. They lost Jamison Tyon. He pitched a ton of innings for them. I mean, Miguel Castro was important for them. You know, Araldis Chapman, even though he wasn't good last year. You know, had been a stabilizing presence in that bullpen. It's, this this they team traded just... Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Old. Bader, who is now hurt. Yeah, and that it's... would be a reliable arm they could use. Yeah, it just scares me. We're gonna have to come up with a dumb Yankees bet, Keaton. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't because <laughs> that means I'm like rooting for him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, 
Yeah, maybe you don't want that. <laughs> all right. Well, we all had the Red Sox fourth, and that is interesting um, in and of itself. I think we've kind of talked about this. Uh, I do think they can finish as high as third uh, if everything goes right for them. Um, but I also think that like this rotation is incredibly scary. You know, we, we look at the Red Sox. I think we have to start with the pitching because that's been the thing um, that has really held them back over the last couple of years. Corey Kluber in the twilight of his career, Chris Sale, just shrug emoji. You know, we all think he, he can be an ace again, but that's that's far off. Uh, Nick Pavetta, we know what he is. Tanner Houck, we already talked about him in detail. Cutter Crawford slotting into the rotation. We don't know what we're going to get from Bayo and Paxton and Whitlock. To me, it all comes down to the pitching for this team. I think the lineup will be fine. Uh, the defense will be fine for this team. But the 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 rotation and the bullpen uh, have both been really remade from last year uh, in large part. So, I mean, doesn't it just come down to the pitching, guys? And what they have up the middle, because I don't know what they have up the middle at second, short, center field, whether they'll get the defense that they need, um, who is healthy, what they're getting out of Mondesi. You know, if, if Duvall can contribute there, where Kike Hernandez is going to play, who was hurt a lot of last year. Um, and I, I I believe in in Kike Hernandez. I think that he had a, you know, fluky injury that took half the season out. But I don't know. I look at second, short, and center, and I don't think it's great. So that and the rotation are the two biggest question marks and just kind of highest variance that I could see being fine or being just like total disaster in there trading for Jose Iglesias in July. Where are you on this team, Keaton? Yeah, I think you hit it with the pitching. I think that's going to be the biggest piece, the starting pitching and just kind of how healthy and consistent it can be. Cause it's not super deep. Although we talked about some names at the top, um, even though, you know, Carter Crawford has given me hope and potentially, you know, second half Brian Mata could be there. Uh, and we're, you know, hoping that Bayo builds on the success. There's just so many questions. And I think that is really kind of what leads to the wide range of outcomes. I, the, on the hitting, I don't think it's so much the health and questions with those guys. It's just that there, there just is no depth at all there. Um, but I don't think that the health is a question mark. So, if guys who are typically have been healthy all of a sudden fall injured on the the bats side, then that I think obviously is something that can do them because there's not a ton of depth there either. Um, so it's just overall, I think it's just the lack of depth, but it's the most glaring with the pitching just because of just the history there. So yeah, I think that's I think you had it on that there. All right, I have a fun question for you guys. And I think this is a legitimate question. Um, Red Sox and Yankees right now. And I know that that rivalry is not exactly burning hot at this juncture. But who would you rather be heading into the future? 
Red Sox just signed Rafael Devers. He's 26 years old. They signed him through 2033. Um, you know, 29.5 million per uh, or 33 million per, depending on the year. Um, they've got Yoshida locked up through 27. Trevor Story locked up through 27. Chris Sale for a couple more years. They've got young players in Tristan Casas and Marcella Mayer. You look over at the Yankees, they've got Judge, who's 30, uh, locked up through 2031 at $40 million per. They've got Cole, who's 32, locked up through 2028. Rodon, uh, through 2028 and almost $30 million bucks a year. Stanton, through 2027 at $25 million per. Um, and they've got a couple good young prospects as well coming up, like Volpe that you mentioned. So... Whose future would you rather have, the Red Sox or the Yankees? Looking looking forward. I <laughs> this is a complex question, but I would say that I'd rather be the Red Sox. But tell me who is going to be making the decisions going forward? Are they going to continue? <laughs> are they going to continue to throw a bunch of one and two year deals at reclamation projects, Garrett Richards and James Paxton? and not sign anyone to long-term deals and get outbid in free agency and not use any of the money that they have available to do anything. So um, if it's a different man- general manager next year and has money to spend, then I would rather be Boston. But I right now don't trust that they would then use the, you know, the fewer bad contracts, right? They're less hamstrung over the next five years, I still don't trust what they have here to make the right decisions to pass New York. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather be the Red Sox, but spend like the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys nailed it. The Red Sox definitely have better financial situations uh, moving forward. You look at the, the Yankees, and they could they could have some real, real albatross contracts on their hands pretty shortly, yep. uh, especially if guys decline, uh, whereas the Red Sox, you know, have, have a lot more flexibility uh, in that regard. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we've seen flexibility doesn't matter if you don't use it. So, you know, it's, no, uh, I, I would like to have Aaron judge and Garrett Cole at the top of each of those positions. So you know, yeah, they got the star power, but I don't know. That Stanton contract could get really ugly towards the end. Yeah, I think Judge could be similarly ugly, uh, sure. depending on how his body holds up. Yeah. Well, let's go to the basement dwellers here. Um, we we all have the Baltimore Orioles in the basement, but this is not an uninteresting baseball team. Um, in fact, this is a very interesting baseball team um, who's who's got some real talent. I mean, we go down the lineup. Cedric Mullins leading off. He's 28 years old, a tremendous player. Uh, should benefit from the shift rule changes. Adley Rushman, an all-world catcher. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, going to be playing third base for this team. He's 21 years old. Santander and Mount Castle are similar names, um, you know, as last year. So not a lot of surprise, but still young guys with potential. Kyle Stowers probably making his uh, full-time debut this year. Austin Hayes is solid. You know, Frazier and Mateo aren't very exciting at the bottom, and then the rotation is the thing that's not good 
with the with the Orioles. It's Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, and then Grayson Rodriguez, who could be amazing, um, but will probably take a little bit of time to to settle in. And, and then I think they have a pretty solid bullpen. But um, no, this is this is a sneaky team, and I think that Orioles fans were rightfully upset after finishing with 83 wins last year ahead of the Red Sox that the team didn't do a little bit more to uh, improve this team in in the offseason. But even without making big splashes, um, the Orioles, just through their farm system, have a chance to improve quite a bit uh, this year. And, you know, we could even see the debuts of guys like D.L. Hall and potentially Kobe Mayo at some point and um, Jordan Westberg, you know, these are some guys that could be pushing uh, for the Major League Club. So how do you guys think about the Baltimore Orioles? Let's go first to you, Bob. Yeah, I think as a baseball fan, it's offensive what they chose to do with their rotation because this was a really exciting team, and it was arguably the best story of the second half, even though they didn't quite get to the playoffs. Uh, as soon as Adley Rutschman came up, they started winning. Um you know, they they just had such a good winning percentage in the way that he worked with the staff and just came up and didn't miss a beat. And he's going to be such an important Buster Posey type of catcher there that is just going to be a winner, might not have, you know, crazy fantasy numbers or anything like that, but he's just going to be like a good hitter, a great catcher, play all the time, you know, can play first base or DH when he's not catching. And really they're building around him. And then you've got Gunnar Henderson who came up late in the year and played well. And they have a very good lineup. I mean, Mullins went 30-30 a couple of years ago, got close to that last year. Santander, great power hitter. Same for Mountcastle. So they have the pieces on the hitting side, but then they did nothing. I mean, they threw their money at Kyle Gibson, who is just the ultimate... Um, he's just there, right? I mean, there's just no upside with Gibson. And then Cole Irvin was you know, maybe going to make the Oakland rotation and that's their number two. So they're going to get a hundred great innings out of Grayson Rodriguez. I'm sure they're going to baby him and throw him five innings a game, but they flat out said that, but with what they did in the off season that we're playing to turn the corner in 2024. And I don't think that was necessary. They just had to find some decent arms and some high upside in there and have such a great catcher to work with with a good staff. And this is kind of trash that they're putting out there. And I just see no way that that rotation can finish much over 500 where it, I don't think it needed to be that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's tough to disagree with, with that. Keaton, what's your take on this rotation and, and why didn't the Orioles do more here. I mean, are they really going to rely on some of these first year pitchers like Grayson Rodriguez, as good as he is, or DL Hall, who has command issues to come in and fill those gaps right off the bat? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else they're going to do. That seems like the plan, which I mean, it seems like, I mean, you, you talked about this team a lot in the second half as a team that was headed in the right direction and had a ton of really fun young players. I think this is just going to be another kind of building year around that young core um, and continuing to, to push those young guys forward. Um, they'll be a fun team to watch. I don't know how successful they'll be, 
but they have a ton of just really fun young talent. So um, I won't hate watching the Red Sox play the Orioles um, because I, I want to watch these young guys play um, and watch them progress throughout the season. But I think that's kind of what this year will end up being for them, which isn't a bad thing. Um, and I think that kind of really starting next year is when I would expect them to make the moves that you were talking about and kind of like solidify, um, you know, the holes in the lineup where around those young guys and in the, the rotation and maybe start to actually try and win some games. But I, it still feels like they're, this roster is just still so young that starting to make those moves now didn't seem like it really fit with the build of the roster. Yeah, I mean, potentially they could be waiting for John Means to come back from Tommy John and see how he looks. Um, you know, that could certainly drastically improve their rotation. I think pretty highly of John Means. Um, but I, I would like to see this team be aggressive uh, at the trade deadline if they're performing well. You know, if the young guys look good and and everything's going well, I'd like to see them move some of this absolutely treasure trove of, of prospects that they have because they are stacked. They have one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. And, you know, they've got names that are far away, like Jackson holiday. That's, you know, incredible players and, you know, Heston Kierstead, whose career didn't really get off to a great start, but has looked really good uh, over the past couple of months. I mean, th- these are, these are some stacked systems, so I would I would like to see them uh, use that to improve the team. Darwin's and Hernandez. Yeah, you know when you when you can get Darwin's and Hernandez out there. I think they already DFA'd him, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I, he was for one. I'm shocked. Yeah, but uh, what what's the scenario where the Orioles do end up finishing ahead of the Red Sox again? Like, how likely is that? Do you think that they are? Are they close enough to the Red Sox? Because I, I think the Red Sox are close enough to the Yankees, and I'm kind of on an island there out of you two. But, I mean, how close are the Orioles to the Red Sox at this point? A lot of the projection system actually have them pretty damn close. Uh, and there was, I believe... Uh, crap, now I lost it because I have a gazillion tabs open. Uh, there was two projection systems that actually had... Boston finishing behind Baltimore. Um, Dakota may have been one. I don't remember. I can't find my tabs now. Um, a lot of the projection systems uh, had were kind of like down on Boston. I was kind of surprised to see a, a handful of them, or m- most of them actually, with less than 80 wins. Uh, Fangrass is pretty optimistic um, in terms of kind of the projection systems at 83, which is right around where we guessed last um, last time we were all together. So that was kind of in line, but um, a, lot of, a lot of pessimism here in the hashtag analytics on the Red Sox. Um, so I think, I guess if we're to, to trust the data, they're, they're a lot closer than we think. Yeah, I think they're close. I think that, that Boston is closer to Baltimore than they are New York um, because of the lower variance. Just the, the outcomes, the high and low outcomes that could happen. I just think 
that there are a lot of situations with injury and risky players that they've brought in or older players that they've brought in that could go the wrong direction. And, um, you know, like I said, up the middle and the rotation, I, there's already question marks. And I think that it might be more of an indictment on Boston than it is that I think Baltimore is going to win 90 games or anything like that. But I could see, you know, Baltimore, the like, same thing as last year. It's like 82 and 83 wins for Baltimore, 78 for Boston. That wouldn't shock me. I finally got my tabs right. Zips was one of them. Uh, Zips for 2023 has Baltimore at 80 and 82 and the Red Sox at 79 and 83. Hmm. That's interesting. Game behind. If you told me that the Yankees, Red Sox, and Orioles finish in any order, like three through five, uh, I would believe it. Like, I which teams? The the Yankees, Red Sox, and Orioles. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if it was like Blue Jays, Rays, Orioles, Red Sox, Yankees, or you know, I, I, those bottom three to me are are very similar in terms Jake. of the extreme variance. Do you have a fever? No. No, I just. I, I want to transport at, you back to those Xander Bogarts episodes that we recorded a couple of months ago. You legitimately you think that, that the Orioles could finish with a better record than the Yankees? Yeah, I do. I really do. Would you say you were drinking? <laughs> yeah. How big is that beer? It's uh, it's just grain alcohol, guys. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't tell you before before the recording. Yeah, but we get to think of something that we will do. <laughs> If that happens, Keaton. Yes. You, you guys both have to drink a liter of grain alcohol. <laughs> On air. Recorded. <laughs> I will. I will do that. All right. I, I feel pretty safe. Yeah, I'm probably losing my mind. But let's uh, let's get to some listener questions here because we're, we're running a bit long. Our first one comes from our good friend Shelly First Rate Verse Straight. She says, picture it. It's the end of the season. The Red Sox have won the AL East. Give me your reasons for how this happened. Also, since I cannot help myself, who is the top Red Sox prospect at the end of the season? Mayor, Blaze, or a surprise player? Um, let's split this question up. Keaton, answer the first part for me. What needs to happen for the Red Sox to win the AL East? Yeah, the, the pitching is just super duper healthy and pitches to all of their pre-injured standards. Like Chris Sale is lights out Chris Sale again. Paxton is like circa 2018. And they're just, all of them go for like 150 plus innings. I'm going to even add to that. I agree with all that, that that needs to happen for them to finish first. But I will add to that that Kike needs to play like he did in 2021 for the whole year. Yep, and that uh, Tristan Casas needs to have his breakout this year. Yeah, those probably also need to happen as well. Yeah, you're right. All right, Bob, prospects. Marcelo Mayer, Miguel Blaise, or someone else? Who's the top dog at the end of the year? I think it's Marcelo Mayer because I have not seen anything yet to make me think that he's just not on the the track we expected him to be on um, with the just good plate discipline. And you saw him in the spring training game the other day go the other way with a double and decent power and 
good defense, and it just it seems like he's on track to do what he's supposed to do. And if he continues to do that, and he's a couple of years ahead of Blaze's schedule, at least in theory, unless Blaze turns into Acuna, which he could, um, yep. I just think uh, Meyer is safer. Um, it's not impossible with Blaze, but I I think that just as a as a shortstop and what he's done so far, I don't really have any questions about Meyer, so I will I will go with him. You agree, Keaton? I do. Although <laughs> I hesitate to I mean, I shouldn't make this comparison, but I'm going to. But pop up prospects. It only took one soto like 40 days to go from a ball to the major league baseball too so it could happen it's been done likely absolutely not let's not think that blaze is soto but just saying it's been done you heard it here blaze is soto <laughs> now I'm, I'm actually gonna go out on a limb and say it is blaze who's who's gonna be the the oh, number okay. one guy in the system i think he is insanely talented i think his tools are much louder than our marcelo mayor's tools i think it's more likely that mayor is still the top prospect but i think that blaze's ceiling is pretty clearly the highest in this whole system to me so all right next question patio d he says when gambling became legal i put money on the over for the Sox, 76 and a half wins Will I recoup my money, and will the Sox realistically vie for the second wild card? Uh, Bob, will he make money off of this bet? Yes, he will. That's a crazy low total. I'm surprised by that total. Yeah. I'm not downloading any of these apps, but maybe I'll go for a drive in the middle of the night to Encore. Yeah, it is a slippery slope getting the apps, you know, the ease of it. Don't get me started on this. It made it way too easy for people to throw their life away. But that's a whole other discussion. What about uh, the, the, the second wild card? Either of you guys think that they can realistically uh, make that? Uh, it seems like a stretch. Because it's not only that, I mean, at least I think we're in agreement that all things considered, they're looking up at three teams in their own division, that there's also... 10 other teams that they've got to, well, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's some that we can discount, but there's two other divisions there too. So, I mean, there's someone, someone's going to have a weird year and kind of come out of nowhere, I bet. So it, it seems like a stretch. Well, there's three wild cards now, right? So to get to the second one, I'd say 25%. It's realistic, right? Yeah. Um, is I it? I don't know. Twenty-five percent realistic. I feel pretty pessimistic, but you know, can they realistically vie for the wild card? I figured. Yeah, you know, I guess they. Do can. they have a chance to compete for it? Sure, they have a chance. Yeah. I don't think it will happen. So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have uh, two questions from a great big lark to end the day, uh, the to end the show at least. Um, he says, including Halkin, assuming all current and potential starting pitchers are healthy to start games in mid-April, uh, could you rank the starting pitchers on how confident you are to believe that they will stay healthy most of the season? 
and rank them and how well you'll they'll perform when healthy. Uh, he says for season health, I have them Pavetta, Hauk, Bayo, Whitlock, Kluber, Sale, Paxton. For performance, he has them Sale, Whitlock, Kluber, Bayo, Pavetta, Paxton. Thinks Bayo could be a future 2-3, but that he will be inconsistent this year. So let's start with uh, health. Um, what is your ranking, Keaton, of how healthy you think these guys are likely to be? Um, man, this is... I agree that Paxton is last. I feel like... Yeah, I mean, Pavetta's got to be first. Then Hauk. Then I say Sale... Uh, Bayo, Kluber, Whitlock, Paxton. And I'm more confident in Sale just because I feel like all that weird fluky stuff has got to end at some point. Like, that can't just keep happening. You'd think it, it would have to stop at some point. Yeah. I thought that last year, and then two more weird things happened. Yeah, I know. And I just... No, I agree with what you said. I... Yeah, I just I have to believe that that's behind him because I can't <laughs> I can't have it in the back of my head that he's gonna like trip coming out of the dugout for his first start and break his arm and then I just <laughs> that, it can't happen. It's got to stop. <laughs> yeah, I think for for health purposes, I would have it Pavetta one, just like you guys, or just like. Uh... Daniel and and you um I'd have behind him man it's not easy um that's it there's one yeah (laughs) I got Pavetta Kluber Sale then I would go Crawford Hauk oh yeah I didn't even think Crawford Whitlock and then Paxton that's how I would have them in terms of health. Oh, I didn't even include Bayo. Shit. Um, I put Bayo slightly above Pax, uh, slightly above Whitlock. Pavetta. Oh, God. <laughs> Just Pavetta. That's Pavetta, it. Kluber. I'm going to put Kluber <laughs> second because he pitched an entire season last year and didn't miss any starts, right? So That's why I had him second, That's the last too. thing that happened, so I will put him second. Uh, Hulk third. Sale fourth. Whitlock fifth. Bayo sixth because the forearm thing scares the shit out of me, and then Paxton last. All right. All right. In terms of performance, I will have them sale country mile between them and then Bayo when healthy Kluber Whitlock uh, Pavetta Crawford Hulk Paxton I don't think they're going to get anything from Paxton put Whitlock second yeah, I got Sale, Whitlock, Kluber, Bayo, How Crawford, Pavetta, Paxton. All right. 
And uh, I thought it was our last question, but there's actually another one. Uh, TJ McPhee has uh, our final question, our real final question. Schreiber had his first dominant year at age 28 after years of mediocrity. Should we be expecting the same dominance moving forward? Is he more likely a one-year wonder? Uh, let's start with you, Bob. What do you think? Yeah, I think... I don't think he's going to do what he did last year. Um, but I th I really like the way that they used him as kind of the, the cleanup guy because, it, you know, when there were runners on base. Because not everybody can do that. I think it's unlikely that he'll be closing games or pitching in the eighth as he did so many times last year. But I think that he can be deployed in spots as early as the fifth inning to... Um, he pitch, pitches well with inherited runners, um, but I don't think he'll have a 2.22 ERA again. And I would say it's more likely that he's a one-year wonder just based on the track record. But um, that would be that would be my guess. I don't I don't think he's going to do what he did last year. But I think as if he's your fourth or fifth best reliever, that that's not the worst thing, and and that he can he can probably handle that. What do you think, Keats? I don't think he's a one-year wonder for two big reasons. One, um, we kind of forget with like crazy young superstars that come up that like this used to be typical progression for players like not that long ago. Um, also, he had never pitched more than 66 innings in a season before. Um, and... The 65 innings that he pitched last year in the major leagues were more than uh, the previous three seasons he had pitched in the major leagues combined. So, um, and his numbers in the minors, it wasn't like he was kind of like, he's like a quad A guy and then just kind of figured it out. Um, he had really good numbers and was just continuing to progress level by level uh, and then made it to the majors. So I think this was just his progression. So I think he, he could very easily repeat that. They threw him a ton. Like they did throw him a ton. They would throw him back to back. They would throw him coming off two inning outings. He sure. threw sixty four games, sixty five innings, and he's probably up like a month into the season. You know. So I'm of two minds about this, though, guys, because his fastball velocity jumped up last year almost two miles an hour. Um, his slider was a better pitch for him than it was previous. And his changeup was a completely different changeup. He threw it way harder. He threw it at 88 miles an hour versus 84 the last two years before that. So it was it was essentially a different changeup. Um, so the pitch mix was different. Um, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to repeat it, but I don't think that the drop off is going to be like severe. I think I think he's going to be a reliable guy all year, like a three ERA kind of split the difference all right yeah we'll see all right well that's been our show we really appreciate you guys tuning into the show uh there might be a little bit of transition here as um we've got some things happening with the feed don't worry about it if you're subscribed to the show uh you will stay subscribed to the show but we are moving platforms because uh Vox has given us the X in terms of, uh, you know, 
podcasts, um, but we will continue to be published on OverTheMonster.com. We'll just be a little bit more of an independent type podcast, um, but tune into us there. Uh, let us know if you have any questions. Again, our Twitters, Bob Osgood 15 the Spoken Keats, and at Dev Jake. Uh, and email us questions. We got some good emails the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm not sure if we got any this week because we didn't talk about it, but um, redseatpodcast at gmail.com is that address. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be with you again next week. Thank you.